This episode of Zero Brightness is brought to you by you. You can head to patreon.com slash zero brightness to sign up to support the show directly and get bonus content multiple times per week. Thank you to everyone who supports the show, and I look forward to meeting more of you soon. This is a test of the Zero Brightness Emergency Broadcast System. Please do not adjust the device on which you are listening to this podcast. Everything is as it should be. Nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, what actually happened was a listener and friend from the Discord, Zarfox, sent me a copy of a game. And I played the game. And I want to talk about it, so I'm doing this episode now. The game is, of course, Silent Hill Downpour. It's one that I've wanted to play for years. I've been super curious about it. I've obviously heard bad things about it because I think the conventional wisdom is that it's not a good game and that it's not a good Silent Hill game. But I've also heard from some people that it actually is good. And, you know, specifically Whitney, who's been a guest on the show before and who does the Silent Hill Historical Society and the Voices in the Static podcast, has kind of briefly mentioned to me that it's actually pretty good. So, yeah, you know, it's been on the list. And so huge thank you to... Sarfox for sending me a copy of Silent Hill Downpour to play. Huge shout out to my nephew Muhammad for loaning me his Xbox 360, which I'm pretty sure is older than he is, but just through chain of custody has ended up in his hands. I don't know, man. In any event, I'm glad that we were able to come together as a team, work it out, and uh, get me (laughs) this game so I could play this game and talk about this game. And yeah, I have to say, ultimately, I actually really enjoyed Silent Hill Downpour. You know, it has its ups and downs, eh, no pun intended, but I think overall, it is a pretty damn good game, and I think it's pretty unfairly shitted upon. So, you know, just mere weeks after writing for another uh, very unfairly hated upon 7th gen classic, which is Dark Souls 2, I think today I want to kind of ride for Silent Hill Downpour and maybe talk about why people should check it out if they get the chance to check it out. Let's do it. the negativity surrounding Silent Hill Downpour is different from the negativity surrounding Dark Souls 2. I think with Dark Souls 2, it's a very pointed critique. A lot of people say that it's just a very bad version of what the series does so well, and it was kind of a misstep in terms of the series' history. Whereas with Downpour, I think people had already 
seen the Silent Hill series kind of go downhill and they saw this game as just another consequence of that. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, on paper, Downpour sounds a lot like Silent Hill Homecoming, which we talked about previously, and I just don't like. I just don't think it's a good game. Downpour is once again not developed by one of Konami's Japanese teams. It's developed by a Czech team called Vatra Games. Like Homecoming's developer, it was a team without a ton of experience. Downpour was their second game, and it ended up being their last game as they actually declared bankruptcy in 2012, the very same year the Downpour was released. Even looking at footage of the game, it looks to be another very 7th gen take on Silent Hill with that same kind of tactical combat and focus on action that had turned off a lot of fans of the classic Silent Hill games when they saw it in Homecoming. But what Downpour actually is, is something much, much more interesting. I really think it's an update on the classic Silent Hill formula, and it actually sticks surprisingly close to the Silent Hill 1 mold. There are definitely some things added in. There's a different mechanical feel to the combat. There's a much stronger emphasis on the open world component, which we got a little bit of in Silent Hill 1 and Silent Hill 2, but here it's much more fully fleshed out it's a much larger part of the game but overall it really has a classic silent hill vibe to it even as it changes things and updates it for what was then current at the time where downpour really distinguishes itself is the vibe because this game has vibes for days I think the devs made a really smart choice here by really digging into the Twin Peaks, Pacific Northwest type vibe and aesthetic. Everything in this game looks like it could be straight out of Twin Peaks, maybe even more so than Silent Hill. The town itself is very rustic. It's both decaying as well as colorful, and color is something that's going to come up a lot when describing the aesthetic of this game because it's much more vibrant and bright than any other game in the series. And yet, it really doesn't skimp on the things that we expect to see in a Silent Hill game. You know, rust, decay, eerie darkness, etc., etc., etc. It's a really great combination and it works just as well in this game as it does in Twin Peaks. You know, it's a game of contrast. A lot of times when we talk about a horror and especially some of our favorite classic horror properties, we always think about like darkness. And I think that there's a reason for that because horror and darkness are obviously linked. But a lot of times having that dose of color and style is very, very helpful. It makes things eye-popping and eye-catching. And once again, it sets it up for a very interesting contrast or juxtaposition. Silent Hill Downpour is full of these juxtapositions. One great example is the overworld. In the first two Silent Hill games, the overworld or the town that you were allowed to wander around in for long periods of time was meant to feel really unearthly. 
You know, there's this huge wall of fog. The geometry doesn't really make sense. You get a map to navigate, but you're constantly hitting dead ends and things that don't make sense while trying to navigate the town. In Silent Hill Downpour, the overworld feels a lot more physical. The terrain feels more realistic and everything feels like it could maybe just possibly exist, you know? You see a lot more landscapes, you see trees and lush, verdant areas, things like that. But you still see things like roads that drop off into nowhere and huge barriers erected of trash and debris. And once again, I think that the juxtaposition, the clash of those two opposing ideas works super, super well in the game. Silent Hill feels both more real and unreal, as if the streets in your own neighborhood just developed giant pitfalls and drop-offs into nothing. It's really eerie, and it works super well. Now, once you get out of the town and into the actual other world, just like you'd expect to see in any Silent Hill game, it's similarly very colorful and stylish. It's really colorfully gothic, it reminded me of something maybe by Clive Barker or even Clock Tower's version of like a colorful Dario Argento hell world. There is a ton of style here. And I think it's all done really well because it doesn't just look great and feel great. It's also referential in the right way. I think for as much as people like to attribute a lot of originality to that original trio of Silent Hill games, and that is deserved, those games were also heavily, heavily referential. We've talked before about how they straight up lifted things from Jacob Slatter and other 90s horror properties in an attempt to make a world and a game that would feel natural and appeal to American gamers and Western gamers. The references in Downpour have a similar feel to them. You know, they're on the nose, but they're very, very well curated. To me, that was also the first sign that the people who made Downpour actually get Silent Hill and they get what makes a good Silent Hill game, which is something I'm going to return to over and over when talking about Downpour. I think that is a big deal, not just because I think that's a large part of what makes a good Silent Hill game, but it's also what really distinguishes it from Homecoming. Like I said in that episode, I think Homecoming has some good ideas, but there isn't really any good execution. And a lot of that is up to the fact that I never got the sense that the people who made Homecoming really understood what makes a good Silent Hill game. They definitely understood like the aesthetic signifiers, the basic building blocks that would make up a Silent Hill game, but there's that X factor that's missing. There's that je ne sais quoi that really makes a Silent Hill game a Silent Hill game. Homecoming doesn't have it, and in my opinion, Downpour does. And I think it demonstrates that to the player from very early on. If you love Silent Hill, I think it becomes apparent very quickly that Downpour is made by people who also love Silent Hill. One big way that they communicate this to the player is through the narrative design, which is stellar in this game. Downpour incorporates heavy doses of Silent Hill 1 style vagueness, which once again is crucial to a good Silent Hill story. This is one thing I almost kind of forgot about 
before playing Downpour, just because it's been a little while since I played any of the classic Silent Hill games, but those games all have the same kind of in-media res feel to the way that they start. You are not given a lot of background on your character, just a vague idea of what their goal is. You know, I'm looking for my daughter, I'm looking for my wife, etc, etc, etc. Now, that setup is so crucial because it allows the main story to be parceled out in little bits and pieces, but it also kind of keeps you suspended in a weird haze, and it lets the game throw cool little narrative moments at you that may or may not have anything to do with the main plot. I think when you're playing a Silent Hill game, you're not really hanging on for clues to the protagonist's past or waiting for the main story to wrap up in a satisfying way because it's probably not going to. Rather, you're just kind of letting the game wash over you and appreciating it for all the cool little moments and bits of narrative that it throws at you. I guess I'm kind of biased here. I'm speaking as someone who's a really big fan of Silent Hill 3, and I think Silent Hill 3 is a great example of this, right? Like, It does have a concrete main narrative. It has one of the more straightforward plots in the series, but it's also full of these weird little surreal moments, things that make absolutely no sense and almost have no place in the game, but are just so cool that they stick in your mind and they absolutely earn their place within the work. This game, similarly, is filled with tons of cool little events. Some of them are presented as side quests, and some are as main parts of the narrative, but they all have that same feel. They're weird, they're kind of out of nowhere, and they're very, very heavily stylized. A few examples that I really, really loved. Early in the game, I kind of wandered into a building by accident, and I found that its basement was filled with murderous mannequins. That was scary as hell. Later, I went into a different apartment, and it ended up being a weird puzzle where you had to run a record player backwards in order to witness a murder happening in reverse. So weird, so eerie, so unnerving. And also so cool because both of these examples have nothing to do with the main narrative. They're just weird little things that you find. They're weird little things to chew on. Almost like the whole game is one big horror anthology and you're just picking out different little stories within the game to find and enjoy. The main journey also has some insanely cool moments. There's one part where you end up on this surreal journey through a hellish prison. One minute you're in an elevator and the next it's like a prison cell that's floating through space as these scenes flash all around you. And soon it does resolve into something that looks like a physical prison, but you're moving through it in a way that is completely strange and unreal. The whole time the lighting is hyper-dramatic and monochromatic. It looks super amazing. It's so weird and creepy, and it's such a great oh shit moment. Because, as you know, and as I'll discuss in a minute, your character just got out of jail, and they don't want to go back, especially not in Silent Hill. The presentation in this part is just so amazing. And once again, it doesn't really have a concrete connection to the main narrative. It definitely has a thematic connection and it's kind of putting us inside the headspace of the protagonist. But really, it's just a cool little 
cinematic moment that's not a cutscene. It's just a neat piece of storytelling. My favorite, though, of these cool little events is a journey into a projected film. There's a part that is technically a side quest where you can find these film reels and project them inside an old theater. Once you do, you actually walk into the screen and into what is essentially uh, an extended homage to classic survival horror. This part is a creepy little trip through an old manor that has the mechanics of a classic survival horror game. So it's got fixed camera angles. It's got like clunky aiming and exploration. It's so, so cool. And it's also just so weird and unnerving because suddenly the rules of reality in the game have changed. The things that you thought were, you know, solid and concrete no longer are. It would be a cool moment in any horror game, but especially in Silent Hill, which is a game about shifting and changing realities. One in which the player, if they're a fan of the series, probably already has a decent idea of how that works. You know, they know about shifting into the other world and shifting back into the fog world, etc, etc, etc. This little bit, though, presents something completely different. It's so strange and it's so cool. I absolutely loved it. Also, as a side note, I think that if somebody put out this exact same section as a game on itch.io today, people would be raving about how it's this amazing throwback survival horror game. And the fact that it's just a little 10 minute detour in this much longer game is really, really impressive. Like I said earlier, Downpour feels like a collection of short horror stories. It really feels like a Silent Hill anthology. And that was super, super exciting to me personally, because not only do I love anthology horror, not only do I love short horror story collections, but I've always felt that Silent Hill would work best as like a horror anthology type property, right? Like, I feel like every Silent Hill should have its own plot and feel. It shouldn't be like really tightly bound to the main narrative or the main lore of the series. And I think that even within each game, the more cool little disconnected moments you can throw in, the better the game will be. You know, these are surreal horror games and the more cool mind-bending moments you can pack into them, the better the game will be. To me, this is all indicative of how good the narrative design is in Silent Hill Downpour. And that doesn't just refer to the way in which the story is presented to you, but also how the story is woven into the game. I think that the structure of this game is greatly influenced by those cool little narrative moments. There's a huge focus in this game on exploration and getting lost. At times, it really is an open world game. The town of Silent Hill is huge and you get these long sections where you're allowed to fully explore it. And the map is really well designed. There's a lot of area to traverse. Those areas seem to interconnect and overlap in really cool ways. And yeah, you can basically run around it as much as you'd like. In a lot of ways, it feels like a very, very prototypical version of what we would later see in The Evil Within 2, 
and you guys know how much I love that game, but specifically I love the open world sections in that game. You know, they're just cool sections that you can take at your own pace and explore as much as you'd like and just get to know that area and find as many secrets as you'd like, depending on how much fun you're having, you know, playing the game. This game kind of has a janky prototypical 7th gen version of that system, and it's so, so, so cool. It's a great throwback to the first two Silent Hill games where you'd spend a lot of time just lost and running around trying to figure out where to go and exploring the town. But unlike those games, there's a ton of content like packed into these open world areas. All that stuff I described earlier is just out there for you to find as side quests or optional rooms for you to explore. It's also there for you to skip if you don't feel like it. And that's kind of the beauty of this game. Like I said, a lot of my favorite parts ended up being these little optional side quest areas, so it made me explore the town fully, spend a lot of time wandering around Silent Hill Lost, and to me, that's just like kind of the heart and soul of a Silent Hill game. That's some of the most fun you can have playing a Silent Hill game. And once again, Downpour nails it. I think that approach also takes a lot of pressure off of the main story. In a game like Homecoming, the main story seemed to be the backbone of the game. It was really the meat and potatoes of the game. So when it came up lacking, it makes the whole game feel somewhat inferior or like a failure. I think in this game, I was a lot more forgiving to the main story because there were these cool moments throughout the whole game. The main story does have its weaknesses, and I'm definitely going to talk about that later, but I guess just to set the scene. Downpour stars a guy named Murphy Pendleton, which is absolutely $30 worth of name for a main character. A mysterious convict in a federal prison who, though he's supposed to receive parole, doesn't, and instead ends up on a prison transport bus, which, for some reason, ends up in Silent Hill on its journey from one facility to another. From here, he enters the surreal hell world of Silent Hill and goes on a journey to discover exactly what happened to him in his recent past, as well as what's going on in Silent Hill. Earlier in the story, it focuses a lot on the strange and unnerving characters that you meet in the game, and later in the game, it focuses a lot more on Murphy. It's a pretty cool approach. I liked the main story in this game. It has a lot in common with Homecoming, maybe a little bit too much, but ultimately I think it all hangs together surprisingly well. There's so much going on in the game and so many cool things to focus on that you're not hyper-focused on Murphy, and when the game pivots more towards his story, it's fine. There's more than enough town to explore, there are more than enough cool side quests to experience, and the game more than ends up justifying the time that you spend with it. So at this point, I've basically just been talking about narrative design, structure, and presentation in this game, and I think there's a reason for that. When we talk about any Silent Hill game, the story, the narrative, the presentation, will always be a major part of the discussion, if not the whole discussion, for one very important reason. The Silent Hill games, and specifically Silent Hill 2, 
changed storytelling in video games forever. Narrative in video games traditionally was something that was put to the sidelines. In the classic arcade era, you were liable to only get story as a splash painting on the side of the cabinet. Later, you might get an attract screen at the beginning of the game before you hit start or some very, very small static cutscenes throughout the game as you were playing. When things moved to home consoles like with the NES, this tradition was somewhat kept up. While games became longer and more engrossing, story was still something that was pushed to the sidelines. If you were around at this time, you might remember reading the manual to learn the backstory of a video game rather than seeing it as something actually woven into the game itself. In the 16-bit era, games were able to tell more complex and involved stories, including stories with heavy emotional beats. This is pretty much the calling card at this time for all of Squaresoft's big games, and I remember there was so much hype around them. You know, hearing about the opera scene in Final Fantasy 3, aka Final Fantasy 6, and the way that it used music and images and text to create a very emotional moment in the story. Or hearing about how Chrono Trigger could actually tell a compelling story about a group of adventurers confronting the end of the world and the end of the human race. The stakes in these stories were suddenly huge and players found them to be very, very affecting despite the fact that they were told with low tech and very simple visual storytelling mechanics. In the 32-bit era, I think a lot of games continued the trend of more complex and sophisticated storytelling, but a lot of the changes were mostly formal. What I mean by that is that 32-bit games mostly changed the way that the stories were told rather than trying to fundamentally alter the essence of those stories. So when we look at some of the biggest games of the era that people laud for their storytelling, let's look at, for example, Metal Gear Solid and Final Fantasy VII. I think both of those games could have been told in a more low-tech fashion, but they used new technology and design to push the medium forward. In the case of Metal Gear Solid, it showed that you could use tech to tell an action movie-like story using a lot of the same techniques that we would see in a big Hollywood action film. In the case of Final Fantasy VII, we saw that you could take a very layered multimedia approach to make an epic tale feel even bigger and expansive and, yeah, epic. That said, I think that the story of Final Fantasy VII could have been told using the technology and format of Final Fantasy VI, and I definitely feel like the story in Metal Gear Solid could have been told on the MSX computer. In fact, it kind of is the same game as Metal Gear Solid 2 on the MSX, but with a huge graphical facelift and a ton of style and panache in the way that the story is presented. It wasn't until the PS2 era that we started to see games that were fundamentally changing the rules of storytelling in video games and getting at deeper themes using techniques that were unique to the medium of video games. 
I think the best example of this still is Silent Hill 2. Silent Hill 2's story is uniquely interactive. It really heavily relied on player perspective. It was set in a world of doubt and uncertainty where every character in the story is an unreliable narrator. Even the narrative itself seems to hide crucial details in the margins. Ultimately, there aren't even proper resolutions to most of the game's storylines, a choice which only adds to the bombshell dropped at the conclusion of the protagonist's story. Silent Hill 2 evoked a strong and emotional response from players because it put them inside the game's story in a way that no game had ever done before. That sort of uncertainty can only come from, once again, having a unique perspective deep within a story that the game also distorts and changes as the story goes along. For example, as we play the game, we sort of take for granted that we are seeing things through a certain character's eyes. Yet, the more we play, the more the game challenges that assumption. We learn that every character in the story sees the events of the story differently. They even see the environment around them differently. And eventually we start to wonder, are we seeing this game through that character's eyes? Are we seeing it through our own eyes? What exactly is going on in Silent Hill 2? This is something that we talked about in the episode covering the game Soma, which is one of my favorite games ever. Another game that really, really plays with player perspective. And I think that's something that is really, really unique to the medium of video games. I'm not sure if there's another medium where you can just instantly create something surreal and mind-bending by suggesting that the perspective through which the player is viewing the game might not be the one that they assumed it was. For better or for worse, this technique basically became the calling card of the Silent Hill series. Every game in the series uses this technique to one degree or another. You can look at the original game, which kind of confused people with its uh, layered metaphysics. You can look at the third game, which suggested a vast and terrifying larger universe around the Silent Hill games, but also refused to explain what was going on or why it existed. You can even look at Silent Hill 4, which is probably the most strange and uncertain game in the whole series in the way that it tries to draw back these weird tenuous connections to older games while also doing something new and strange and at that time unheard of. To me, this is kind of the heart and soul of a Silent Hill narrative. It has to have that uncertainty. It has to suggest that there's something deeper going on underneath the hood and the player may not understand it on a first playthrough, if ever. Downpour, I think, marks a sharp return to this kind of storytelling and structuring after a few games that kind of drifted away from that core conceit. The Silent Hill of Downpour is a metaphysically weird place. It traps everyone who comes in contact with it inside of it. There is a really weird tone and tenor to all of the conversations that you have with characters in this game. 
They all seem to know that they need to pretend that everything is normal, even as they're trapped inside the hellish otherworld of Silent Hill. It's such a cool choice, and it really makes every cutscene in the game, whether it's a weird aside or something relating to the main story, really fascinating to watch. You really have no idea what's going on or why you're there, even later in the game when it struggles to tie everything together and give you probably more context than is necessary within a Silent Hill game. Speaking of unnecessary exposition, let's take a break from gassing this game up and talk about the things about it which are bad, because there are a lot of pieces of this game which are very, very bad. Let's start here. This is the big one. The combat is atrocious. There's no other word for it. It's absolutely horrible. And at various points in the game, it almost sinks the whole game. So like I said earlier, the combat is really similar to what they did in Homecoming. The way I would describe it is that it's kind of a strategic, slow-paced combat system that expects you to alternate attack maneuvers with defensive maneuvers. So you're expected to read animations, you're expected to block, and you're generally expected to trade blows with the enemies that you come across in the game. There's a few problems with this. Uh, number one, the combat system in this game just sucks. I don't think there's any getting around that. It's slow and it's clunky. It does not feel good to use, and due to the fact that it expects you to fall into rhythm with it and be very strategic, the fact that you can't get into a flow state while using the combat system renders it essentially useless. The other problem is, once again, similar to Homecoming. They expect you to read animations, but all the animations in this game are really, really goofy. There aren't a ton of enemies in this game, which is, I guess, another easy criticism you can throw at this game. And the main one that you end up fighting are these little, like, Samara-looking ladies who actually do, like, kung fu movie-style uh, blocks and jabs at you while you're fighting, and it's really funny. Their walk animation is also kind of hilarious. So when you're fighting them, it ends up looking more like a Benny Hill sketch than it does something out of a Silent Hill game. There are two other main types of enemies that you'll encounter while fighting the game. First, you've got these like demonic looking strong men. And second, you've got these tall, lanky creatures that can jump up to the ceiling and generally move around really quickly. So the problem with these enemies, despite the fact their animations are much better than the little Samara girls, is that the abilities that they've given these enemies make them super, super frustrating to fight, especially in the context of the janky combat system. So the strongmen are just really overpowered. They can break your block and they can also uh, make it very hard to maneuver around them because they're so large. And the tall dudes are just way too fast and agile. And once again, they can also break your block. Basically, every enemy in the game has a sort of system-breaking special move that they can essentially use as many times as they want, and it's super, super frustrating. 
Even the Samara girls, which are the weakest enemies in the game and the closest thing this game has to like scrub enemies, can scream and stun your character. And the only way to break out of it is to mash like the interact button. It's so, so annoying. It sucks. And yeah, I think it kind of breaks the game. Like any good faith attempt that I made to genuinely interact with the combat system and figure out how it works was essentially met with one of these roadblocks. Like, I'd be trying to understand what I was supposed to do, how the timing of the blocks was supposed to work, and as I was doing that, the enemy would break my block or use a special or something that would totally floor my character, if not kill me. So. The solution to this problem is the thing that does elevate the combat in this game above that of Homecoming, which is that you can run. You can run from every enemy in the game except for one. There's one single enemy that you have to fight and kill. Everything else you can run from. Now, this is a very good aspect of this game because I think if you remember the older Silent Hill games, like the first three games in the series, you definitely did a lot of running. There were a lot of areas where you were not expected to fight every enemy you came across and you'd run away. So to me, that feels more in line with the series. The problem, however, is that when you have to do so much running, it does start to take away from the main game and it starts to take away from the game's appeal. So you remember a few minutes ago, I was talking about how great it is to get lost in this version of Silent Hill, to just freely explore your own will and find cool little side stories and cutscenes. That's all true, but what I didn't mention is that you're also running from enemies quite a bit. Enemies will spawn in seemingly at random, and if you don't want to waste your time getting your ass kicked by them, you're just going to run. There are definitely moments in this game where I was pretty engrossed in that exploration aspect, but I was totally sucked out of it by having to run from enemies, by having to juke around little Samaras or hide from demon guys in an alleyway somewhere. I mean, once again, the map design is very, very cool. The overworld design is cool, so you'll eventually find shortcuts that let you avoid main roads and avoid enemies. So it's not all bad, but... I don't know, this element of the game is just so bad that there are moments where I was just like, why is this even in the game? It doesn't become a serious problem until the last two areas in the game, and those are the monastery and the prison. These areas feel a lot more like the late game sections of Silent Hill 4, where there's just a ton of combat. You're constantly fighting, a lot of it is in super small cramped spaces and it's just super frustrating it's not fun it's a slog it's essentially a maybe two hour section of the game that will probably take you a lot longer if like me you keep dying over and over or getting stuck and it's a bummer because i think aesthetically those two areas of the game are very very cool once again these devs get what a Silent Hill game is supposed to look like. They get the presentation, but the fact that it's marred by all this really boring, unfun gameplay that they shoehorned in is a bummer. So there's a particular piece of the combat system that I haven't talked about yet that I think is even worse than the entire combat system itself, and that is the weapon system. So in Silent Hill Downpour, 
The weapon system is kind of like Breath of the Wild, where there's just weapons everywhere. You're meant to pick up a weapon, use it for a bit until it breaks, and then go find another weapon. That's pretty common, especially nowadays, and for some reason in the 7th gen, a ton of games use this approach even though it was very unrefined and kind of janky, unlike in Breath of the Wild where I think it works really well. There's a few problems with it in Downpour though. Number one is the controls themselves. So like, a surprising number of the face controls on the 360 controller are dedicated to picking up and dropping weapons in a way that is very, very confusing. I found myself constantly accidentally dropping weapons, especially in the early game when I wasn't super familiar with the controls, which is very, very annoying. Another problem is that the controls for picking up weapons are the same as the controls for picking up items. And a lot of times you can't see what items you're trying to pick up. The game is really dark and it has a lot of cramped areas you can't really maneuver the camera around and there's no like alert on the heads up display telling you what you're standing over or what you can pick up. Like if they had just done that, they would have fixed a huge, huge issue in the game. But since they didn't, you'll spend a lot of time just picking up random shit that you can't see to see if it's like a health item or a quest item that you need to progress. And instead, you'll end up picking up like a piece of driftwood and dropping like a decent weapon that you were holding, which means that you'll have to walk away, walk back and then pick up the weapon that you just dropped. It sounds minor, but you end up doing it so much that it started to drive me insane especially in some of the later areas that are once again they're dark they're cramped they're full of dangerous enemies it really sucks that you keep like accidentally picking up and dropping weapons while you're trying to maneuver those areas and once again it just makes the game super super frustrating another problem with the weapon system is because the combat system is so jank the difference between good weapons and bad weapons is huge and kind of game-breaking. So like if you get a good weapon for a little bit, you'll notice that the game is much easier and less frustrating, but then the minute it breaks, you're just back on your own. It's super dispiriting and it's super heartbreaking, especially because you'll end up dropping or skipping a lot of really good weapons just because the game won't let you carry them. The inventory system in this game is, let's say, quirky. Generally speaking, you can only carry one weapon at a time. However, you can store one firearm at a time. This is really frustrating because there are two different types of firearms that you'll encounter in the game. There are handguns and shotguns. And some of the side quests that you go on, the reward for the side quest is one of those guns. So if you want to hold on to that gun, you have to commit to holding on to that one gun for the entire game. You might also at some point make a choice and then just not find any more ammo for that gun. It would be so easy for them to just let you store firearms or like store one melee weapon or something. But the fact that they decided to stick with this, I guess quasi realistic melee weapon system really makes the game just so, so, so frustrating and so unfun. Like I said, for a game whose strengths are atmospheric exploration and narrative presentation, it is so dumb that you spend so much of the game picking up and dropping weapons. It makes no sense. 
There's a few more things I want to talk about. I'm not done. But I do think that kind of gets to the heart of the things I didn't like in the game. They don't jive with the game's overall vibe and presentation. Once again, I was taken immediately with the game's aesthetic, the way it presents the overworld, the general eeriness it was able to inspire. Like, it has that classic Silent Hill feel, but then it also has all these weird game design choices that just absolutely clash super hard with that. One of those choices is chase sequences. And as a sidebar, why are there chase sequences in all these later era Silent Hill games? Like, why... What about that just screams Silent Hill to these developers? Like, I never thought of Silent Hill as a series that would work really well with chase sequences, but apparently all of these developers did. So in this game, in addition to doing grueling combat, you also have sequences where you have to like run from, uh, I don't know, some sort of mysterious force that's chasing you. It's really, really odd. It's not horrible. It's definitely better in this game than it was in Silent Hill Shattered Memories, which in that game, it's a little bit game breaking. In this one, it's just like a minor annoyance. And even these sequences have some really, really cool camera work that reminds me of the original Silent Hill with its super bizarre forced perspectives and Dutch angles. That stuff is all cool, but the fact that you have to complete these chase sequences perfectly, otherwise you die and get kicked back to a checkpoint that sucks especially once again later in the game these sequences become a little bit more punishing there's more time sensitive obstacles and things that if you even brush up against you'll die and yeah it sucks it's very frustrating i am grateful that this game has checkpoints but this game also has crazy constant auto saving which i think in some places actually makes the game more difficult like It is impossible to save scum in this game because it is auto-saving every 20 seconds while you're in the overworld. And even while you're doing these little challenges, like there are moments where you'll get kicked to a checkpoint and you realize it actually might be to your benefit to do the whole sequence over considering that you've just wasted like all of your health items because some dudes sewed into a wall just spat blood all over you. It's frustrating (laughs) it sucks uh it's really really bad and once again i think the last third or fourth of this game is rife with these frustrating moments and i wouldn't begrudge anyone for just dipping out of the game at that point that last third is also where the narrative stuff gets a lot less interesting the game pivots away from that cool anthology feel and towards murphy pendleton's story Murphy's story is okay. Uh, It gets less and less interesting as the game goes on. In the early game, it's actually pretty intriguing because you know so little about him and there are so many gaps in his story. But as they fill in the gaps, it actually starts to feel a lot like Homecoming. I won't spoil anything, but there are some eerie similarities between the plot twist at the end of Homecoming and the plot twist at the end of Downpour. To the point where it's like, Come on, guys, like you had to have been aware of that game, right? You should have known to avoid using the exact same plot twists and the exact same plot beats. It even has the same story structure where there's like a double twist relating to the main character. And 
yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't land very well if you've played Homecoming and if you're aware of the story in that game. Maybe it hits different if you aren't aware of it, but to me it was just like, what? It is weirdly kind of fitting though, because overall Downpour is basically Homecoming, but if it was good. There are a lot of similarities in the story, the general arc of the story, the main character, the way the combat works, etc, etc, etc. Even the contrast between the open area Silent Hill sections and the more linear level sections feels straight out of Homecoming. The difference is that in Downpour it actually works. Everything comes together pretty well in the end. Yes, it is still a pretty derpy 7th gen game. The characters are very dorky and some of them are kind of annoying, but the way that they're placed in the world and the function that they have within the game world and the game's story is actually really cool. Once again, I think that the people who made this game actually get what makes a Silent Hill game good, and what makes a Silent Hill game unique. It's not just a horror game set in a foggy small town. It's a story that has multiple levels of reality. It's a story in which that reality is constantly called into question. And it's a story where all the cards can't be left on the table. It has to hold something back, and it has to let the player find answers for themselves at their own pace. That's what Downpour does really, really well. There's so many cool moments in this game and they're all really impressively tucked away. It really feels like a game that you have to fully engage with in order to get the most out of it. And when you do, you get a pretty cool experience. I think this game is actually pretty damn good. I'd honestly kind of put it on par with Silent Hill 4. I think I'll always like Silent Hill 4 better just because the aesthetic is a little better and I have a lot of nostalgia for how mind-blowing those first-person scenes were at the time, but some of the little side quests and apartment areas in this game are just as eerie, weird, and oppressive as the apartment scenes in Silent Hill 4, and I think that's super, super impressive. It also has a lot of the same problems as Silent Hill 4. There's way too much combat, the combat and inventory system is really frustrating, etc, etc, etc. So like, I can't really give the devs of this game a lot of shit for making a game that is more or less on par with the last game that the original team made. It is really unfortunate that you can only play this game on the Xbox 360 with a disc copy as of right now. I think this game definitely deserves to see like a nice working PC port because I think a lot of people would really enjoy playing this game. I think just like 4, a lot of people probably wouldn't make it to the end or get too frustrated with it and once again the main storyline isn't really good enough to merit you sticking with the game the whole way, I don't think, but overall the experience is so cool and there are so many cool little moments that it feels like Silent Hill Downpour earns its place within the Silent Hill series. I think it deserves to be considered along with the other games in the series. 
To me, that's what distinguishes a good later era Silent Hill game from a mediocre or bad later era Silent Hill game. Like, okay, not to get into tier list <laughs> mode here, but actually, fuck it, let's do it. So, after the original Silent Hill team stopped making Silent Hill games, which is after Silent Hill 4, we got a number of Silent Hill games that were made by different Western developers. So, of those now, I've played Silent Hill Origins, I've played Silent Hill Shattered Memories, Silent Hill Homecoming, and Silent Hill Downpour. So, those are kind of all the big ones, right? We've got the two main entries into the Silent Hill series, which are Homecoming and Downpour, and then we've got the two kind of weird spin-offs, which are both developed by the same company, um, and those being, of course, Origins and Shattered Memories. So, of those, I would say Origins and Homecoming, to me, don't really feel like they've earned a spot within the Silent Hill canon. Origins, just because it's like an aggressively mediocre game. I mean, it's not bad, but like, I can't really think of any reason to recommend it unless you're like super hard up for some Silent Hill content and you just like need it to live. Cause it is kind of boring. It's very blase. I don't have much to say about it. I'm honestly shocked that I got through an entire episode of this show talking about that game. Homecoming, on the other hand, is just not a good game. And like I said in that episode, I feel like it just doesn't understand what makes a good Silent Hill game. So when I shift to the other two games I mentioned, which are the two that I actually really like, Shattered Memories and Downpour, they're both weird games. They're both flawed games. They're definitely far from perfect, but I think both games understand what it means to be a Silent Hill game. And although they take pretty much opposite approaches to gameplay, to narrative, to everything, both of their approaches work within the context of a Silent Hill game. It makes for a really cool, interesting, thoughtful, and sometimes mind-bending experience. And it makes you feel like you played a Silent Hill game rather than like, some sort of weird dollar store knockoff. I think that's the easy criticism to throw at any of these later era Silent Hill games is that they're just kind of weird, cheap knockoffs of the classic Silent Hill games that we all love, right? But I don't know, I think Downpour is the real deal. It's not perfect, it has a ton of problems, but I really enjoyed it, I really enjoyed playing it, and I hope through some means, more people are able to play this game soon. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there.